somehow as pastors, I feel like I'm a friend to the bride who gets to speak good words in her ear and say, where are we going next? Hey, Doug. What's up, JR? It's good to see you again. Really good to see you. Excited about another episode here. I've got a question I want to start this episode by asking you, what do you do when you're blasted? Uh, blasted. Well, normally I go to Denny's and, uh, (laughs) (laughs) or I preach. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah. What do you mean by blasted? Yeah. I've heard you use this, this, this phrase before. Yeah. It's an acronym. It's an acronym. So what do we do when we're blasted? What do we do when we're bored, lonely, anxious or afraid, stressed and tired? Mm. So what do you, how, how do you respond as a pastor when you're bored, lonely, anxious or afraid? stressed or tired? What are your, some of your coping mechanisms yeah. when you're blasted? Yeah. Well, boy, that's a really, that's a deep question. I feel like you could probably ask my wife. She'd be able to tell you a little <laughs> bit better. Um, however, I, I think for me in, in, in an unhealthy perspective, uh, I, I tend to isolate. Mm. Like when I'm feeling a lot of those pieces, I want to hide. Mm. Um, I want to build a fig leaf or like a fig suit and yeah. just stay hidden in the shadows. I think on a healthy space, um, I slow down. Uh, for me, when I'm feeling really anxious, what I recognize is there's this spirit of hurriedness that kind of mm. like hangs. And what I need to do is the opposite. Like yeah, I remember yeah. as a kid, we used to always talk about opposite day. And I've actually <laughs> found that there's this deep oh, spiritual good. truth in that yeah. of when I'm feeling something then I, I, I lean into that. Something. Yeah. I think uh, the Eastern Orthodox call those counterformative practices, Ooh. right? Oh, so man. like culture is forming us in yeah. one direction. And so we have to engage in these counterformative practices and exercises the other direction. Yeah. What are some of the things that you do, JR, when you are blasted? Yeah. Yeah. Very rarely do I feel bored. (laughs) There's always just too much going on, but, uh, yeah, I mean, loneliness is big. Mm. Um, and, and and by the way, I think in all these, and you answered both positive and negative, um, we could call these coping mechanisms, right. And those can be healthy and unhealthy, yeah. right? Those can be sanctified and unsanctified. And so it's good to clarify both of those, right? Because when we're blasted, we could we could run to exercise, which can be good. Yep. If we do too much, it could be terrible. Mm-hmm. We could run to eat and uh, that could be good or it could be terrible, yes. right? Um, and so there are good and healthy coping mechanisms and unhealthy. But um, yeah, when I'm lonely, I mean, sometimes healthily picking up the phone, uh, when I'm lonely, I can feel a great amount of pity on myself and just kind of self-flagellation. You deserve this. There's a reason why you're lonely, you know, and sort of live in that, that, uh, that fantasy world or that, that warped view of reality that says every, every other pastor has friends. Yeah. And I don't, Mm. you know, when majority of pastors say they can't name one close friend. Uh, so that's, that's pretty normal, uh, on that anxious and afraid. I, I get, when I'm anxious and afraid, I just work harder. Huh. And that can be good. I don't get lazy. I don't withdraw, but it turns to workaholism for me. Interesting. I just keep driving because I think if I work harder, I'll be able to control this more. I'll be able to accomplish this and feel better about myself. And so that and that's anxious, afraid and stressed when yeah. I get in there. And when I'm tired, um, I'd like to say I go to sleep. I don't, I have a hard time with my, my turning my brain off at night. But, um, when I get tired, sometimes I'll just zone out with the Netflix movie and yeah, that's not always bad. Right. Uh, Netflix and chill is sometimes a good thing. (laughs) Just not when it's for like six days straight. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, I I think this is an important question for every pastor to ask regularly. What do we do when we're blasted? It might be even a good Monday morning question to ask regularly. That really might be. And even realizing too, like seeing the grace in that when you recognize that there's some really unsanctified things that are happening to you, like to say like, okay, you see that. So what are you mm. going to do about it? Mm. Are you just going to mm. sit there and keep running headlong into that coping mechanism? Or are you going to see how you can replace that with something that's holy and sanctified? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, it's really dangerous on this because if I say, oh, I'm bored, I'm going to go read like, that's good. I mean, that can be productive, but right. if all I did was read even the motivation behind why am I trying to read? Uh, is I, am I trying to be smarter? Am I trying to look more impressive? Am I trying to think that like just knowing about God replaces the need to know God personally, right? Yeah. So we have to be very careful even with what's, what are the motivations behind why we feel blasted. And I don't, I mean, you and I both, most pastors listening, we're not bored sitting around for a week going, I have nothing to do this week. What? Do, well, how should I spend my time? I'm bored out of my mind. Yeah. But I think it's the little boredom I've tried to do this, these little micro practices with my phone of like, when I go into the post office, like leaving my phone in the car, 
of being forced in the wow. boredom of three minutes of waiting until I'm called wow. instead of just trying to check my email. I've had to delete social media off my phone entirely yep. because of those little boredom spaces. And boredom sounds strong, but where I need a stimulus hit, yeah, you know, where I can just click something real quick on my phone. I'm just learning to put it on on airplane mode or leave it in the car. Yep. And I still have room to go to improve on that. But um, yeah, I mean, blast, uh, the blasted state is real for every human, for every leader. But I think for pastors, we have to be so careful Absolutely. of what we do when we're blasted. Well, because we can become junkies, right? I mean, like sure. I think about the way that you talked about the social media and even just some of those things on our phones. I mean, it is an endorphin rush. Yeah. Like, all of a sudden we're like, oh, I'm important again. Oh, I'm important again. Oh, I'm important. It, it, dopamine hit. It's deforming I mean, like, us. Facebook has, has these, these chemists and biologists on staff oh that gosh. help them design the platform. So chemically your brain literally gets a dopamine hit. Wow. I mean, this is, this is how deep we're in this. Wow. And so, yeah. I so mean, who did kill JFK? <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're right. You're absolutely right. Because it would make sense that, that, that you would have these people who are trying to figure right. out how do we keep you hooked yep. into this place? Yep. The most important thing I was reading recently on Facebook is the, the like button. Wow. Because there's something about our brains when we see the blue and white screen, but in the corner, what do we see? The red number. Mm. And it's the red number that's the dopamine hit. Yeah. I am that's important what, because... I'm important. People love me. People need me. People have commented. I'm I'm noticeable. Yeah. Has, has done something. And it doesn't mean we all, you know, log out of Facebook forever <laughs> and delete our account, but we just have to be aware of these things. And and even next time we go onto Facebook or, so, or Instagram or Twitter or whatever to ask did I just go here because I felt blasted mm. in some way? Yeah. Even just by asking that question yeah. can be a counterformative practice. What a beautiful invitation. Uh, it's interesting. My, um, my, my wife, Mayor, she works at uh, Chick-fil-A and she works in the drive-through quite a bit. And she was saying how one of the most frustrating things mm. is when she is, when she, when someone orders and they pull around to get their food, she said almost at least over half people are on the phones huh. and won't even acknowledge her existence. Uh, wow. And and apparently this is just normal. I mean, yeah. like we've become so addicted to feeling like I can't be bored and like actually be bothered by someone else mm. that, I mean, it's, it's interesting to think how even in those moments, instead of just being like, I'm going to be in the car quiet, we feel like, oh, I'm in the car. I can get some work done or, oh, I'm in the car. Yeah. I can have a conversation with someone, which isn't a bad thing. I mean, I'm grateful for long conversations in the cars and long walks on the beach, but but at the same time, how do we create margin? And I think maybe that's really the key. And to ask that question yeah. of why, what is the motivation? Am I, am I on this because yeah. I feel blasted or mm -hmm. am I in this process? And I, I love that micro practice of just like the airplane mode on your phone. I mean, yeah. that button is like a Sabbath reset button almost mm. of like, oh, for the next hour, I will be unavailable to anyone. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't, we, we don't always reach for our phones when we're blasted, right? I mean, right. it could be we reach for our phones more when we're stressed, yes. right? Of the, the need to know or the need for control of knowledge or, yeah. in fact, I probably reach for my phone more often when I'm stressed yep. and anxious than when I'm, when I'm tired or bored. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I deleted, well, I did not download my Instagram account, uh, on the new phone I got about eight months ago. Mm -hmm. And some of the reason was because I sensed, uh, I would be I would be looking constantly to see if people noticed me mm. and just even recognizing that it was like this, this, this soul check moment of like, well, how is this important to me? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what, what is ha what, what deficiency or what place do I need Jesus to show up and heal in yeah. me? And, and I think, That's yeah, good. for me, it came back down to maybe loneliness or feeling stressed, but, mm. but just like that longing to be noticed. Yeah. And like, it made me think about Hannah, um, as she's longing to be pregnant and just weeping and, huh. and God, you have to show up. And it's like, instead of, she could have just been like, well, you know, I guess I'll just kind of let that go and I'll just keep on in this place of looking like a crazy drunk person. Mm. But in reality, it's like we all have these spaces where we have these deep needs and these deep longings and these places where we have developed these coping mechanisms. But to come to a space where we just trust the Lord in that, that's mm. I feel like that's hard work. Mm. It's soul work. Yeah, we're all blasted. But what are we going to do with it? That's a great question.
honored to introduce you to our next guest. Originally from Australia, Mandy Smith is the lead pastor of University Christian Church in Cincinnati, Ohio, a vibrant community right in the heart of the University of Cincinnati. She is a regular contributor to Christianity Today publications. She's been an active leader and writer for Missio Alliance, including helping to host the national event She Leads. She's the author of a few books, including the great book, The Vulnerable Pastor, put out by InterVarsity Press. Mandy and her husband, Jamie, have two children. Her husband, Jamie, is professor of New Testament at Cincinnati Christian University. She is an artist at heart. She paints, she draws, she creates. And I am grateful to call her a sister in Christ and my good friend. Enjoy this conversation with my friend, Mandy Smith. Mandy, uh, as you know, this is called Monday Morning Pastor, and so we want to ask you, what does a Monday look like for you as a pastor after Sunday, which may or may not have been draining? You've given your all in a sermon. Like, what do you do on a Monday? What are Mondays typically like? Uh, mm. What is that like for you personally? Yeah, I love Mondays. Monday, Sunday afternoon is when I'm feeling the drain, and I always <laughs> have a, na- a nap. Um, it, it usually goes nap, tea, coffee, shower. Sunday afternoon in something like that order. And then I always talk to my parents Sunday evening, my parents who are in Australia that I never get to see. So like that feels like a death and a resurrection. By the time I go to bed on Sunday night, I'm so Monday is usually like a day to just be present for me. Sabbath is because Monday is the day I take Sabbath. And um, I just remember having a moment when I was just standing in the sunlight in my lounge room. And I don't even know how long I'd been standing there on a Monday and watching the dust motes in the air. Mm. And just like when you're a kid and you just zone out, you know, and, (laughs) and realizing like, I don't even know how long I've been doing that. (laughs) And, (laughs) and, uh, it's okay. Like God delights in me, even though I'm not accomplishing anything right now, I'm no use to anybody. And, um, I try to somehow remind myself of that at least one time on a Monday Mm. and I try not to plan a Monday too much. I just try to be present to Mm. my body and to nature and to God and, um, to beauty. And so I try to just kind of go back to being like a child on Mondays. And, and if I feel like crying, I cry. If I feel like sleeping, I sleep. If Mm. I feel like dancing, I dance and Mm. I eat the foods I feel like eating and I wear my (laughs) favorite clothes and, you know, and it's not always a fun day. You know, Mm. I don't always end the day saying like, that was a great day. Sometimes it's paying attention to things that I'd rather not have to think about. But if I didn't have that day to pay attention to the hard things, I'd I'd just be like pushing them further down. So it's not always fun, but, um, I do feel like it's a day to pay attention. Oh yeah. That's great. I I think most would feel uh, what you feel Sunday afternoon on Mondays, but that's great. You kind of speed it up. I mean, gosh, I mean, that's, that's kind of <laughs> cool. You kind of go that through death and resurrection. Reset button, I tell you, yeah. <laughs> yeah most of that's us have true. been like postponing the death for a whole evening through sleep. And then we start thinking about resurrection the next day. Um, Monday morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you didn't Sabbath, and I'm going to use that as a verb Sabbath mm-hmm. on Mondays, who would you be as a pastor? Oh my goodness. I'd be very productive but miserable. Mm. I'm a very productive person. Mm. I have to repent of my productivity. Mm. Like I can just get a lot done and I'm a kind of an A type person. And so, Mm. um, anybody who knows me now probably wouldn't recognize me from like 15 years ago where I was just really very, very task oriented and really pride prided myself. (laughs) I guess that's the word. (laughs) I was very proud of the fact that I could just get a, get a bunch of stuff done and, Mm. you know, kind of steamroll people in the process, you Mm. know, or just, just be cranky with people all the time. And, um, actually when I first became associate pastor, um, when I first started at the church, I was associate pastor and I really wanted to get everything done really efficiently. And one day had this kind of moment of repentance when I was reading first Corinthians 13, when I was thinking if I'm doing it all, but without love, then Mm. what, what good am I, you know, and, Mm. and had to kind of backpedal and start from the question of what, what do I need to be able to not just do this stuff, but to do it with love. And, 
And I knew that like that meant getting enough sleep and that meant taking mm. care of myself and, and making art and being with my family. And mm. so it's kind of a backwards, it feels like a backwards way instead of saying like, what do I need to get done and how can I get it done? Instead saying like, what do I need to be able to do all this with love mm. means I guess I get less done, mm. but I have, le- I have, I have fewer messes, emotional and relational messes to mop up. Mm. Um, so I guess, and maybe in a way that saves time too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm just deeply encouraged you're practicing Sabbath. I mean, Doug and I, this is really important to us. We've talked through this, Eugene Peterson, he beat that into my head that mm-hmm. you have got to, he said, a busy pastor is a lazy pastor. And, uh, and, and we can even not only have Sabbaths, but what he called bastard Sabbaths where mm-hmm. we, we call it that, but it's really a day off to just get my personal like errands done or yep. an agenda day that I really calling Sabbath, but it's not. So right. I'm really grateful that you're, you're doing that because I have yet to meet a burned out pastor who regularly practiced mm. Sabbath. Mm, that's good. No, I know they're out there, but I just haven't met yeah. them. <laughs> yeah. And uh, doesn't mean we don't have discouraging times or a draining season, but as far as saying I'm burned out after years of ministry with no break, mm-hmm. uh, I've never met anybody that's practiced Sabbath regularly yeah. in that. Yeah. Well, the way, I mean, God was pretty upset with the Israelites when they didn't yeah. practice Sabbath. And for a reason, I think it's to rest from our habits of being God. You know, and when you go back to it, for me, when I, you know, Tuesday is the busiest day of the week, not counting Sunday and, um, something from, something from Monday leaks over into the rest of the week. And that's what Jews still do today when they're finishing the Sabbath with the pouring of the wine into a cup so that it overflows. It's their prayer that the sweetness of this day will leak over into the whole week. And I think that really does happen that when you've let God hold the world and your church, (laughs) for a day, it does release your, your grip on it. And it does give you confidence that if he could, if he didn't ruin things that day, then I guess he can handle it even when you do go back to work, you know? Yeah. So thinking there, there are probably some folks listening to this podcast who maybe even the idea of Sabbath is, uh, really foreign or brand new. Um, how would you like encourage pastors and, you know, where, where, where would one start with a Sabbath? Yeah, that's a really good question because it does seem doable. Like none of us is sitting around saying, I've got an extra day on my hands. Right. Um, so actually one way that I began was um, for Lent, we were giving up things that we consume too much. And I don't really overeat. I don't really have a shopping habit, but I consume myself too mm. much. Mm. And so my Lent practice was to set an alarm for noon every workday to just stop and have a break for 10 minutes, which doesn't seem that radical, but for me it was because I was in that hyper, hyper productivity place. And it was unbearable in the beginning <laughs> to be interrupted at noon. And the rule was I had to just drop whatever I was doing, even if I was saving the world with this one email. <laughs> and that's, that's one of the hard things about Sabbath is it stops, it, it breaks in when we're still in the middle of stuff. Mm. And it's, you can't, you can't only Sabbath when you finished everything. Oh, that's good. And so I made this rule that I had to, when the alarm went off at noon, I had to drop what I was doing and I had to just attend to my basic human needs. And so get a drink, go to the bathroom, get something to eat. And almost every time at the beginning, I was overdue for all those things. Wow. And um, so although I never would state that I believe I'm superhuman, overriding those simple human needs actually is what I'm, that's a theology I'm living, (laughs) even if I would never claim that as my theology. And so by doing that every day through Lent, it just reminded me, how much I was trying to save the world in my own strength. And I got, I felt like there was so much more to learn that even after Lent, I continued that for the rest of the year. And it got to the point where I was already, you know, when the alarm went off, I was already starting to do those things now. And um, the funny thing was at the end of that year, my mother-in-law was passing away from cancer. That's not a funny thing, but um, we, we didn't know when she was going to die and we wanted to be there with her and we just were waiting for the call and and suddenly had to drop everything, had to, it was right before Christmas, had to reschedule all the kids exams and, you know, suddenly change all our Christmas plans. And and like within a day or two, we were on a plane to Australia. And so it was huge, not only like the planning of all of that, but just thinking about all of the emotional side of watching this 
woman that we love pass away. And I kept waiting for the panic to hit and I kept waiting for myself to just freak out because normally as the super productive, very efficient person, I don't like getting discombobulated by things like that. Mm. And, um, and it just never hit. Mm. I just never got discombobulated because something about that habit of 10 minutes of, of stopping in the middle of the mess and, and being okay with not fixing everything had just trained me in a new way to be okay with stepping away from my control for a while. So that's a long answer, I realize, but, um, I, that's a place that pe- anybody can do that for 10 minutes. If you just choose that's to a great do it at the time when you're feeling most productive, oh, <laughs> do it at the time when you're fantastic. least comfortable stopping and just attend to like t- to say a prayer or read a passage of scripture or go to the bathroom. Um, I feel like that's a good place to start. But for me, that was then that I couldn't like, I felt like there's so much in this. I need to do more and more and more. Mm. And so then it became a full day off. That's great. I mean, these micro practices in the life of a pastor, a life of a human yeah. as a Christian are so important. It's mm-hmm. sometimes we think we can go to the gym and like, I'm going to run a four minute mile. Right. And we've never been to the gym. And all of a sudden we think we should start with the heavy stuff mm-hmm. or I'm going to lift the hundred pound barbells <laughs> when really maybe I should start with the two pound barbells since yeah. I've never done this. And so you've given us kind of a two pound barbell that we can yeah, pick up and start doable. working with 10 minutes every day. I love that. But It changed my life. That's amazing. Yeah. We learn by discomfort. Mm. So I often ask myself, if I really believed what I claim to believe, how would I live? And if I'm not living that way, then I just start doing it. Mm, that's great. <laughs> and that the discomfort of that shapes us, I think. That's wise. That's wise. Well, I mean, ministry is hard. No, every pastor knows this. That's no secret. You and I met at an Epic Fail Pastors event that was hosted in Cincinnati, in your hometown, yeah. uh, a handful of years ago. So in many ways, this has been kind of the common theme or the thread that's run throughout our friendship. Mm-hmm. And so I want to make sure we talk a little bit about this because I know you've taught on this, you've spoken on this, you've written on this, but you know, ministry's hard. What, what, are, what do you sense? I'm going to ask you in, both personally and as you see this among pastors and leaders in North America, but what are some of the hazards or the temptations of ministry in North America mm. for pastors? And what does it look like then part, part two for you, for you mm-hmm. personally, what are some of those temptations or hazards? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting for me because I've lived in Australia and the U S and the UK. And, um, one thing that I do watch at work in the U S is that American Christians are used to having a lot of resources and are used to having political and cultural power and, you know, institutional kind of power. And when we don't have that, it's often seen as a failure. And, um, when we're confronted with our own limitation by not being able to answer all the questions or not being able to fix our community or solve the problems in the church, um, the culture tells us that that's a problem. And we, you know, maybe that's a sign we should go back to seminary or a sign we should read another book or a sign that, you know, we should just work harder. And this is kind of desperate scrambling that is, doesn't feel like a kingdom thing to me. It feels like an empire thing. And so I often watch us as pastors trying to do kingdom things, but doing them in empire ways. Mm. And, um, and so I think, that moment of confronting our own limitation of not having the answer or the, or being able to understand the mystery or being able to control the mess. Um, I mean, I I think if anything, pastors of all people should be comfortable with mess and mystery because if you're dealing with God and you're dealing with people, that's pretty much everything we deal with. And, um, and so empire doesn't like mess and mystery, but kingdom Mm. is fine with it. Mm. And so, uh, I feel like a lot of the time I have to remind myself this. And when I go to speak to other pastors, I want to always say like, that's not a sign of failure. That's a sign that you're, you're dealing with God and you're dealing with humans. And Mm. there is a human way to respond and a human way to engage with God to um, Mm. be comfortable in that. And so it's a, it's a different habit. It's a, it's a stopping that desperate scrambling to fix things in our own strength. And it's every single one of those, uh, con- confrontations with our limitation is an invitation to trust in the Lord more. Mm, mm. And so I often say the best ministry grows from reliance on God and our limitation teaches us reliance on God. And so human limitation is a ministry resource wow. in some weird way. Oh, <laughs> you man. Know? 
Um, and we have limit, we have unlimited resources. <laughs> if our weakness teaches us reliance <laughs> on God and it helps us be better at ministry, then we've got a lot of opportunities to do that, you know, so. The irony of the gospel. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it reminds me when you talk about messes, Mandy, it reminds me of the title of your book, you know, Making a Mess and Meeting God. Yeah. Yeah. That one's out of print. So if Is anybody really? wants that. Oh, yeah. well, that's, I'm sorry to hear that. On, but... I think you can buy used copies on Amazon. Yeah. But, but I love, I've always loved yeah. that title, like Making a yeah. Mess and Meeting God. Making a Mess and Meeting God. Yeah. Sometimes we don't even make the mess. Sometimes we're just handed the mess. But either way, you know, <laughs> most of my art is actually not starting with a clean canvas. Most of it is like, mm. here's a thing I found. What can I do with that? You know, and I think life is like that. And I think ministry is like that. That mm. very few times are we given a clean anything to just make whatever we want to make with. It's it's learning to see the possibility in a broken thing or a less than ideal thing. When things are hard, when ministry is hard. Like, what are the lies that you are personally tempted to believe mm, about you, about God, question. about your people, mm-hmm. about, you know, what, what, what lies feel tempting to believe? Lots and lots of lies related to shame that has some connection to gender, I think. So like they were right after all, well, you aren't cut out for this. You're too emotional. You're too weak. You're blah, blah, blah. Lots of things related to my own personality or my gender. Um, that's like, yep, those people who told you you shouldn't do this or couldn't do this, looks like they were right. Yeah. Also, I think just feeling like, well, I only did this because I felt called by God and God like drew me out on this limb and here I am. He left me dangling, you know, like mm. he forsake, he's forsaken me. And I'm only here because I was obedient to him and now he's left me just hanging Mm. and he isn't good or he's not here or, um, or then to say like, oh, so I misheard him or I was disobedient. Like the Mm. option I'm, I'm really, I think he's really been stretching my capacity to have a different choice apart from God isn't good or God forsook me or I must've misheard or been unfaithful. Mm. To say, Jesus went to the cross because he was obedient to the Father. <laughs> you know, like it's not just being obedient is not a um, not a guarantee that it will be always successful in the way we think of success. Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah. So there's solidarity that can be found with Jesus in that when we don't believe that lie. But that lie is always a temptation. Yeah. like a lot of pastors struggle with those particular lies in terms of like, you know, did, you know, did I hear right? Did God, is God sure he kind of tapped me on the shoulder for this? But I think with that, you know, I know a lot of us on Monday mornings are thinking, well, if we're not Sabbathing on Monday mornings, we don't have our tea and coffee and all the beautiful rhythms that you have on Sunday. Um, But I think we wrestle with like, why do I stay in this? Why do I keep doing mm-hmm. that? So, I mean, Mandy, like hearing even the struggle of like re- wrestling through the voices and the lies around your gender and all these sort of things, why do you continue to stay in the game? Mm-hmm. That's a really good question. I was thinking about that. I mean, I think I'm a Christian because I love Jesus. I'm a pastor, which is, I guess, a subcategory of Christian um, because I love the church. and. Um, I truly, now let me just clarify the church. Actually, I think I see an ecclesia picture. People can't see it. Yeah. Yeah. They're just going to hear, right? But yeah, you um, did that last January, I believe. Yeah. 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 So um, the way, I mean, the bride of Christ, her name is ecclesia. You know, Mm. she, Mm. she is pure and lovely. On the other hand, we have put her into slavery and used her for our own. We've, Mm. we've made her do our bidding. And so there's that church, there's the institutional church of what we have tried to make of this beautiful bride of Christ, but the actual bride of Christ, um, and who she is. And just, I I often think of it in, in the same way that you would imagine a woman who has been pressed into prostitution, but who still loves her beloved, 
who still remembers who she is, but has been pressed into prostitution. Um, I, I see the bride of Christ in that way. Sometimes that she's still, her true identity is still that she is, she belongs to her beloved. And as soon as she's released from that slavery, she runs straight back to him. Mm, and so, um, Yes, there is the institutional church that we have pressed into that kind of slavery, but the actual church, the actual bride of Christ is so beautiful to me. Mm. And I think promises to solve every single brokenness in this world that um, every glimpse of her, I just want to see more of it. And um, what a joy to be somehow a part of partnering with that, you know, with that force that's at work in the world. And we don't, make the church, but somehow as pastors, we get to, I don't know, I feel like I'm a friend to the bride who gets to speak good words in her ear and say, where are we going next? You know, Mm, mm. um, when she's, when she's at her best, she's such a beautiful force. And so, um, so many facets, you know, she's like a symphony played on many instruments and I get to somehow like be the conductor or something, at least in my little part of the symphony. So, um, yeah, I think some of the best art that I've ever made that I really felt proud of was not me painting something by myself, but me coming up with an idea and saying to a group of friends, what if we did this thing? And it takes on this, like it becomes so much more than I could have ever imagined by myself, but I maybe had the little first idea that I didn't even know what it was going to become. Yeah. that um, then we fleshed out together and then we all could look back at it and be like, I can't even remember which was my part, but somehow I got <laughs> to be a part of that beautiful thing that we made, you know? Uh, and um, I've had many times when I've done that with art, that being a pastor feels a lot like that to me, yeah. that I get to come to the congregation. And it's not only me who's doing this, but oftentimes my job is like, what if we did something like this? And then everyone chimes in and it becomes so much more than I could have imagined. And, So that feels like play to me. Now it doesn't always feel like that. (laughs) Those are the things that keep me at it. You know, there are some days where it's felt like a long time since that's happened. Um, And, you know, I'm just coming out of one of the hardest seasons I've probably ever been through in ministry. Um, um, And there were times where I was like, why am I doing this again? (laughs) Um, But, but those glimpses of, of when it's all coming together and people, people are, people are making something together and seeing God in it. That's what makes me keep doing it. Mm -hmm. I think it was St. Augustine that said the church is a whore, but she is my mother. Yeah. And and that's just always stuck with me. But when you talk about like making art and doing it with others, is that similar to the idea behind the collect that you did? So to explain the collect, um, this is beautiful. Yeah, it was, well, I guess I mentioned that too, that like oftentimes my art is about making something out of, something I was handed that wasn't ideal. And the collect was, um, grew from an idea. Well, I was just really depressed actually. And I was walking the streets and found myself self picking up junk off the street and just putting in a box by the back door. And I didn't really plan to do anything with it. And then a friend invited me to make art for an inner city counseling center. And I thought, well, I can't make anything that's too rosy because these kids are dealing with some really hard stuff, but at the same time, it needed to have something hopeful about it. So I started digging through this box of junk that I'd been collecting out of my own depression from the same streets that this, the the kids from this counseling center live on. And, um, started making things out of that for this counseling center art. And it was so healing to me. I started actually walking then to look for stuff. I'd be like, I need some green. And it wasn't trash anymore. It was, it was art supplies, you know? <laughs> and, um, it's like the bower bird you were telling me about yeah, last week. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe that's why I like bower birds so much. Those of you who are listening, Google bower bird, B-O-W-E-R. They're amazing. I had never heard favorite... of this bird until Mandy introduced me to it last yeah, week. Yeah, they have favorite colors and different read in different regions. Bower birds have different favorite colors. So in my neighborhood in, in Australia, it was blue and we use little blue clothes pegs on our clothesline outside and um they would go missing because <laughs> the bowbirds would always my mum would always be like yep let's not get the blue ones anymore uh, um so yeah I collected all different colors though and so hmm. but the collect was then um realizing like I want to share this with other people and not just share my art that I made but share the whole process of collecting stuff and making stuff and so um I made this six month long citywide trash to art project where people from all over the city collected stuff and donated it 
um, in different coffee shops around the city. And then a bunch of artists got together and made beautiful art out of it, serious art that we then um, auctioned off for a local art um, community art organization. And it was, it, the funny thing was I was depressed because I didn't really want to live in Cincinnati at the time. And, um, the process of going through that for six months with, with so many people around the city and making something together actually made me think, feel like I wanted to be here. So yeah, God does amazing things when we do things together. Mm, you're a spiritual bower bird. I guess so. <laughs> So you mentioned something that, um, yeah, I think there's this misconception that people think that pastors like have this really easy job and they get to like pray and do other stuff, but you really, it's very hard to find, uh, the word depression linked with pastors, or at least, uh, mm. it's almost like there seems to be this weight where we're not allowed to, to be depressed. And you just kind of, kind of mentioned that, you know, like yeah. experiencing a season of, dep- you know, depression. And so like, what encouragement would you have for pastors that are listening or church leaders that are listening that are like, Whoa, uh, I've never heard of another leader who struggles with depression. Yeah. Yeah. I've had maybe three different times where I've had to be, um, on some kind of medication for it. And almost every winter I go through some kind of seasonal issues. Um, so, uh, boy, I guess be kind to yourself. And, um, the challenge when you are trying to lead other people is when is it just something to press through? Like all of us have ups and downs emotionally. When is it time to just press through? And in some, in some ways, when I talk about letting God use our limitations, the the problem with hearing that is that we think, well, then every time we feel we can't do this, we should just press through. And there are times when it's time to say like, no, this is a sign that this is just time to step out for a bit. So I never want to encourage someone so much that God can use your limitation that it actually makes them keep working when they really just need to rest. Um, but I think there are also ways in which um, somehow God can, you know, if, if the depression is at a certain level, we need to step back. If it's at a, a, a lesser level, then sometimes there are times when I am wrestling with depression, but I'm still leading the church. And um, yeah, <laughs> I think um, one thing, I mean, obviously there are people that we need to be talking to, to, to bring, to bring friends and a counselor in. Um, I have had to overcome my shame in sometimes being on medication for it. Um, I also have realized that there's a kind of energy that we put into it when we are also anxious about the depression. So there's the actual reality of our own depression. And then once we realize that's what we're dealing with, there's this like, how long is this going to last? And I wish it would just hurry up and be over. And this like this voice outside of it, or this like part of ourselves that's like constantly watching and assessing and like getting anxious about the fact that we're depressed. And um, so um, I've tried, the irony is we just need the energy to attend to the situation. We don't need to be Mm. giving energy to the anxiety about the situation. Mm. (laughs) And so I've, I've actually come to understand it in a way that I try to, I don't want to just like wallow in it and just like almost like languish in the dark seasons. But at the same time, I think that our hearts get tired just like our minds and our bodies do. And depression is a way to just kind of shut down some, some functions for a bit to just recover. And it actually reminds me of how a woman's body, when she is just not physically able to have a baby, just stops having cycles. Like she's just, it just, she just, there's like a a part of her that just stops functioning for a while so that she can just attend to her own Mm. health before, before having, being able to have babies again. And, um, I feel like depression is kind of like that, Mm. that it's like, I'm just going to quit feeling really strongly for a bit because my heart is tired Mm. and it just needs to chill. (laughs) And so I, I try not to just add that extra level of like, hurry up and get better, Mandy. You got things to do and you don't have time for depression. Like, I'm just like, there is, this is a natural part of the way God has made us. And I need to just sleep more for a while and 
be present in my body for a while. And um, eventually I, I move through it. I, I'm not an expert in that though. So I don't want to tell anybody else that's what's going to help them. But that's one thing that's helped me. Yeah, that's that, that's just beautiful. I, I think too, even just being able to hear people talk about their journey through it and with it, mm-hmm. um, just I, I don't, I'm finding more and more pastors that are beginning to enter into that, but it is, it's sort of a weird, it feels, a, it feels like a, a, a scary space for some folks. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I just, you know, first of all, thank you so much for being on the show with us. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's an honor. Yeah. But I, I have kind of a, a bit of a two-part question um, just to, to end with. And if you had a few minutes just to encourage pastors, you know, on their Monday morning as they're sitting in the gym or, you know, drowning themselves in a pot of coffee, like what would you, how would you want to encourage them this morning? Mm-hmm. Um. I guess I would want to say what I always need somebody to tell me, which is that God knows exactly who you are and he knows exactly what your church and your community needs. And he, I mean, there are times where he hasn't put you there and it's time to step back. But if you really are called to be where you are, there's some way in which the unique person that you are with all of your quirks and limitations is somehow connected to the quirks and limitations of the people where you are and the context that you're in. And, um, in every way that you feel not enough, which we all do, I've sat in rooms with pastors and said, fill in this, fill in the blank. I'm not blank enough to be used by God or I'm too blank to be used by God. And, and the room is just, we're just, Those are the after, lies we're tempted after, to believe, yeah. right? <laughs> those are the lies we're tempted to believe, right? Exactly. Those blanks. And yeah. if you sit with a room full of pastors for 10 minutes and ask that question, you start to wonder, who is this person? Where is the person that we all think we're supposed to be? They don't seem uh, to exist, hmm. you know? And sometimes they cancel each other out. Sometimes someone on one side of the room says, I'm too loud to be used by God. And someone else says, I'm too quiet. And someone says, I'm too educated. And one says, I'm not educated enough. And one (laughs) says, I'm too young. And one says, I'm too old. And I'm like, what a lie of the devil that we all think there's this imaginary ideal Mm. out there somewhere. And so um, we do have this image in our heads. And Jaya, I think you, I don't want to say (laughs) this person needs to be a leader as well, but the, the, the 30 something extroverted, dynamic white man that I think JR kind of fits some of those. I don't know you as well, Doug, maybe you, that's you as well. I don't know, but (laughs) you have, you have a different vibe about you, but, but we absolutely need the um, extroverted, all the stereotypes, white man, whatever it is. We need that guy. We need so much more than that guy. Yeah. Right. You know, and there is, so I guess I would say to the people who are listening, um, Whoever you are, whatever gifts you have, whatever experience and education and um, personality you have, God wants to show something to the world through you in a way that can't be shown to the world in any other way. And there are people in the world who will not hear the gospel if you do not step in to share it in the unique way that he wants to share it through you. Yeah, that's good. That's really So it's not good. just about you getting a chance to be yourself and, and, and do you. It's about the fact that the church needs each of us in the unique ways that we, we let the gospel be revealed. And sometimes it's not even through our understanding. It's just through the way that we follow God ourselves to let people watch us follow God. Mandy, I have an 11 year old daughter and she has been telling me over the last year or so that she feels like she wants to be a pastor when she grows up. And so what would you have to say to my, to my Kylie and to the other little girls that are dreaming about becoming pastors one day? Mm, That's beautiful. Well, I love that she has come to that conclusion so young at 11. I think I had a similar calling and it was actually at that time that I gave my life to Jesus and I just sensed God had something for me, but I had, I had no role models for that. So I just had a very vague sense, but I love that she has that kind of clear sense of that. Um, hmm. I guess there's so many things. I wish I could just give her a hug, you know? (laughs) Um, Oh, I'm excited for you. I'm excited for Kylie and for all the girls who are in that place. 
to um, to get to listen to the Lord and with courage follow where he's leading. And um, it might be scary at times and it may not always, you may not always understand what it is that he's calling you to do. But similar to what I just said, there are, there are things that he wants to show the world um, through you and things he wants to show you as you, as you follow that call. The church may or may not have a paid position for you. That's not the same as um, having a calling. And so um, be creative. Listen, listen to him and there may be ways you have to raise your own funds or, or do it on the side for a while or be bivocational or something because I think that um, the jobs that the church is, uh, already can imagine paying people to do may not include the kinds of things that Kylie Kylie could imagine. Maybe by the time she's a grown up, the church will be ready to pay for those kinds of things. But, but the kinds of things that I think there's a prophetic kind of thing that, that this next generation of women will bring that, that we may, the church may not yet have space for, but we absolutely need. Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Mandy. Thanks for joining us, Mandy. Yeah, this was an honor. Thanks so much for inviting me. It was great to hang out with you guys for a bit. great opportunity to hear from Mandy. Mandy is one of my favorite people. She has been a dear friend for a while. I just love that interview. Oh my goodness. I, I felt like there were many moments where I was on the verge of tears, just listening to her Mm. heart. Um, Mm. Just beautiful, beautiful lady. And the things that God has done in her and through her. um, I mean, I know I've just been blessed by the relationship that I've had to cultivate with her as well over the years. But yeah, some of the things that really just jumped off the page for me is the way that um, she she said, we learn by discomfort. Mm. And just realizing that that, that is this, you know, the, the journey towards a formed life or someone who wants to be formed into the image of God is the journey to say, we look at these discomforts, not as this terrible thing that's coming up against us, but Mm. as this invitation to trust Jesus. Mm. And um, yeah, I I was, I mean, I think we should probably really consider the name of Monday morning pastor, considering she doesn't really do Monday mornings. (laughs) It's, you know, Sunday afternoon. And so Sunday afternoon pastor. Yeah, Podcast. It, it just doesn't work. I don't think it's as good. But, <laughs> but I mean, she feels the Monday morning yes. experience, but she yeah. just moves it up <laughs> to yeah. Sunday afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> I think most of us just need to like kind of ride out Sunday and yeah. then go into Monday feeling a little bit yeah. of that depletion. She feels depleted yeah. as an introvert. Um, but I, I love that when she talked about how like she, she needs to like take a shower. Yeah. Like there are times oh, where I just right. feel like, um, I, I had one pastor friend who said that uh, even if he worked um, and came home for dinner, he would have to change out of his clothes that he wore for the day mm. and just like get into jeans and a hoodie as a way of just like being with his family. Yeah. Even if he had a meeting later that night where he had to go back to church, he would change back into his church clothes and huh. go, it's almost like his uniform. Yeah. And, and in some ways I felt similarly when Mandy was talking about, yeah, it takes a shower, takes a nap and talks to her parents in Australia on Sunday night. Mm. Like she has, she has these rhythms yeah. of how she moves forward in the rhythm after a Sunday morning, which can yeah. be depleting, especially for introverts. Yeah. And I really appreciate the 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 theological framework around death and resurrection mm. in terms of the way that yeah. she sort of sees that journey um, of her Monday, you know, air quotes, Monday morning mm. on this, this journey from death into resurrection. And, mm. and I think sometimes we forget that we, we kind of want to live in the death space for a little bit longer, yeah. but that is a sacred journey. Um, yeah, I, I was also, I mean, you've seen some of the artwork that she's done in terms of, I believe it's called the collect or, yeah. and yeah, I mean, that was just powerful to find all this other stuff and to build something beautiful out of that. I feel like that's the picture for the church. Yeah. I mean, it's like all these different things kind of collect and we get a chance to be part of that and to see something beautiful come yeah, out. It's of. like the spiritual renewal, spiritual recycling that yeah. occurs, you know, taking this trash. And then, I mean, that is, yeah. I mean, some, someone once, once said like the, the compost pile is a great metaphor of the gospel mm. um, because, you know, when you put all the compost in, it actually becomes this 
like really rich soil. Yes. Over time. And it actually smells sweet yeah. when you listen or when you smell a, a compost pile. And, and I think that's a lot of what the collect is. And, you know, being a, being an artist and, and Mandy and I have talked about this, her being an Australian, but pastoring in a U.S. context, her being a female in a predominantly male profession or calling, her being an artist in the midst of a much more business or engineer-minded mm. approach in North American ministry. Yeah. She always feels this sort of insider-outsider feel. Mm. And I think that's where some of the good perspective that she brings comes from is, is being close enough but still not being at the center of it all actually um, helps bring some fresh and new insights. She almost has new eyes for me and helping me learn things along the way. Yeah, I also really appreciated the, I feel like, I feel like every pastor needs to write this on a wall somewhere or write it where they're going to see it, that I'm a Christian because I love Jesus. I'm a pastor because I love the church. Mm, mm, um, that's good. And even realizing like, Lord, help me to develop that love for the church that you have. I feel like sometimes we can tend to get around and really bash our churches and be really frustrated by them. And and that's true. We 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 are allowed to experience those feelings and emotions. But mm. you know, Lord, help us cultivate a love for the church. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, let's uh, let's offer a couple questions and then some resources. So the first question, you know, as we heard Mandy talk about her own rhythms for Sunday afternoon, like I wonder what are the rhythms that we can cultivate on Sunday afternoon, evening, or Monday that can help us in that like death resurrection. Yeah. My mindset. And maybe, I mean, for me, Mondays were, you know, I needed to go to the gym, but, but I also didn't have lists mm-hmm. on Mondays. I needed to make sure that I wasn't being back in productive mode yeah. yet. And so that was really good. I know Mandy talked about Sabbath. And so again, we talk about Sabbath a lot. What is our Sabbath rhythm? Yeah. You know, what is not only on our to-do list, but what is on our to-don't list? Yeah. It's so easy to, to have a to-do list in America, but Sabbath to me is that to-don't list day. Which I love. Yeah. And I feel like for some of the resources, um, you know, definitely check out Mandy's book, um, The Vulnerable Pastor. Mm -hmm. Um, Just fantastic opportunity, good conversation and a great, a great place for pastors to enter into some really sacred space. Um, and then even I, I think it would also be good for for those of you that that want to kind of press in a bit more to Sabbath. Um, there's some really good books out there on Sabbath. Just off the top of my head, I'm thinking there's a book called uh, God of My Everything by Ken mm. Shigematsu mm, yeah. um, that really thinks about what it looks like to develop healthy rhythms of rest and play. Yeah. And, and I also think of our mutual friend, AJ Swoboda, oh, yeah. who wrote a friend, Subversive Sabbath, mm. wrote, a, wrote a book, a fantastic book um, that I highly recommend, Subversive Sabbath. And then um, this is a classic. It's been around a long time, but uh, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel's book, mm. The Sabbath, yes. is uh, real simple, real short, but just gives a wonderful understanding of the Jewish concept of Sabbath and how Jews have viewed that for a long time. I just learned something new about uh, Abraham Heschel this week. Uh he actually, on the march in Selma with Martin Luther King Jr., he was two down from MLK. He's linked arms. He, he actually no did a lot in terms of civil rights huh. with Martin Luther King Jr. I, I had no idea. But if sure enough, if you look at the picture of him crossing the bridge, wow. uh, Martin Luther King Jr., two over from him is a, is a bearded, bespeckled man, <laughs> uh, rabbi, and that's Abraham Joshua Heschel. So wow. anyway, but that's yeah. called, that's called, uh, the Sabbath. Yeah. So thanks for joining us on this episode of the Monday morning pastor. Check out the show notes for the questions and the resources, as well as the ways to contact us. We would love to hear from you. Pastors, may you be reminded you have been given permission to be a person. You are loved not by what you do or by how well you do it. You are loved for who you are and more importantly, to whom you belong.